0: Welcome to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast, where we talk to influential women about their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship in the aquaculture industry. My name is Miriam Farag, and I'm the editor of Aquaculture North America. Our guest this episode is a documentary filmmaker, a science journalist, and an environmental activist. She is Sarah Curry. I'd like to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Now, please enjoy the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast with Sarah Curry.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Women in North American Aquaculture podcast. Our guest today is a very special guest. I've been wanting to have this conversation with her for a long time now and we we're finally sitting down and having this conversation. Please help me welcome Sarah Curry, executive director and founder of Sarea Films. Sarah, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for having me, I'm excited. Thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and expertise?
2: I am currently in Miami, Florida, but I grew up, was born and raised in Louisiana, um, And I've lived a bit all over the country, um, but I grew up in Louisiana eating crawfish and fried catfish po' boy sometimes and kind of took for granted this seafood culture that was there. And I got certified to scuba dive when I was 14 and completely fell in love with the ocean. That was just kind of it. It was like visiting another planet and I was totally in love. I stayed in Louisiana and went to LSU for biology with a concentration in marine biology. And I just loved like my ichthyology classes and really getting into all the super fishy stuff. And so from Louisiana, I moved to New Bedford, Massachusetts. So really new culture and environment, oldest whaling port in the U.S. and the Northeast, big fishing community. And I got a job as a fisheries observer on commercial fishing boats. That was really fascinating experience. And my first kind of real look at food production and being out at sea for a day, a couple of weeks, I think was my longest trip. Um, getting to know the fishermen, uh, seeing the different process, the bycatch, all all these different aspects of commercial fishing. And from there, I went on to get my master's from CU Boulder in Colorado, um, studying environmental journalism to kind of talk to folks about these issues.
1: So you took a little bit of a a shift in your master's degree.
2: I did. I read a book actually called The Weathermakers. This was like 2008-ish, and it was all about climate change. And it totally blew my mind. I had no idea that this was happening and it really made me aware of the power of communication and how much as a society, we didn't know about our world around us. Um, And so that is what inspired me to go to graduate school in journalism and communications. I'd always been a writer, I always loved to write, um, but it was in grad school, I got into the filmmaking part of it. And that's when I kind of learned about aquaculture I went back to Louisiana for my master's project. I I called my teachers from LSU and said, Hey, is there anything interesting happening in the Gulf? You know, And they were thinking about putting offshore fish farms in the Gulf of Mexico. So this was back in 2009. So a long time ago, I had no idea about fish farms. So I went down and talked to um, politicians and scientists and visited my first tilapia farm and visited my first catfish farm. And rural louisiana and just that kind of opened up my eyes to oh wow this is how the other half of our seafood is produced and since i was doing it for school i had a lot of kind of creative freedom to to just learn more and um, that's kind of how i got into journalism and aquaculture all at the same time
1: That is very interesting is there anyone in your family who has a background in like aquaculture or journalism or were you the first one to dig into this field
2: Um, I was the first one to dig into this field. You know, my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad was a photographer and my dad took a lot of video. I mean, this is like, you know, on the side, not professionally at all. But no, no one in my family has gotten into aquaculture or um, filmmaking or journalism.
1: Interesting. I love that because it's the same with me too. Like I'm the first in the family who like decided to go to journalism school. And I, I just wanted to see the perspective on your side of things. I have a family of engineers and doctors. So it was very strange for them, like journalism. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I love that. Yeah, Definitely. So tell us more about Surreya films. How did that start? So I made this
2: documentary for my graduate school master's project on fish farms, potential fish farms in the Gulf of Mexico. And there was a guy making fish farm films in Florida. So that's quite a niche. So I moved to Miami uh, around 2011-ish to work for a small production company called Fish Navy Films. And we made three feature length films about seafood. Um, And it was really special, wonderful experience to work for a small production company and get to do kind of all sides of production from um, editing and writing to, you know, post-production and distribution. As the distribution landscape is constantly changing, right? How do you get what you're making out there? It's a constant struggle. (laughs) So that small production company closed down um, and I kind of was figuring out what I wanted to do next and had really fallen in love with the seafood industry at that point. And I just think it's so interesting and I'm like endlessly excited about it. Like I learned something new about the seafood industry every day and and it gets me excited. And I loved, loved making this content and I wanted to keep doing it. Um, so I decided to start a nonprofit <laughs> and I did not know much about fundraising or starting a business. And I kind of was at a point in my life where I was feeling, you know, you got to take charge of your life. Um, I started, I founded Soraya. I was hiking in Portugal and met these fishermen who were harvesting gooseneck barnacles se from um, these rocks off the coast of Portugal. And they asked me, if I want to tag along the boat. And so they're, you know, getting these gooseneck barnacles off the rocks and, Getting some footage and video and chatting with them. And they're like, oh, we're looking for Surreyas. I'm like, what's that? You know, and they're like, mermaids. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> and so that's the first time I heard the word Surreya. And on this trip, I was hiking. I was kind of struggling with this idea, you know, should I start this business? And I already had some names, but then I heard that name and, you know, Beautiful. I like to think of. Yeah, light bulb went off and you know, I like to think of us as kind of combining art and science and um, mixing these different worlds like a Soraya and I just think it's a beautiful world word and I I love uh, Portuguese. One of my best friends is Brazilian and so I fell in love with the language. So, so yeah, light bulb went off. That's a good name. Let's get this going and that's kind of how Soraya came to be.
1: That's very interesting. How long has it been? A few years
2: 2016. Um, so we are still pretty small. We're not fully funded. <laughs> um, we survived the pandemic, though. That's pretty exciting. And we just got our first federal grant. So that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. But we spent a, a few years, you know, and we're still figuring out what, you know, is in the future for Soraya. Initially, we were a broader environmental education nonprofit. And in the past few years, we really honed in on seafood education just because it's what I love. And I think there's you know endless stories to be told and education to happen around that topic. So we honed in on that and we've been kind of tweaking our mission ever since. So our, our films are kind of the mainstay of what we do with our education uh, toolkit. So say we're seafood education nonprofit the films is kind of a main way that we talk to consumers and chefs. Then we have community building events, from kind of seafood tasting events and beach cleanups, so we can kind of have direct action and get some of this debris off of Miami's coastline. Um, and then connecting with students and in, in classrooms, connecting with chefs, and we have a broader goal of just being a connector within the seafood
1: industry itself. And how many people are in your team right now? We're small.
2: So we have about six board members right now. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone, Um, mainly women and only, oh, Alex, our newest board member. So we have seven. Two of them are in Miami, but the rest are kind of spread out around the U.S., which is really great. As we focus on South Florida issues, we kind of get questions about, yeah, how do we look at this from more national scale? Like, What would this video mean to an Alaska audience, you know, or what's going on? in the industry in this way, in this part of the country. So we have a great board that's across the country. um, And my main kind of filmmaker and editor, Daniel Kaplan, who's been with me the last kind of five episodes of this docu-series. Um, And then we have various interns and social media folks who are coming and going. We work with universities to get folks in. So pretty small, I'm the kind of one-man one, one man show um, most of the time with the activities and writing the grants and stuff, but I do have amazing support from my board, from Daniel and the other cinematographers who I work with, and volunteers in the community.
1: All right. That's that's a very good background, Sarah. Thanks for explaining. Now let's get into the good stuff. We want to know how your day-to-day looks like as a filmmaker.
2: Oh, man. um it sounds very glamorous. <laughs>
1: And it's
2: right. It's super, you know, the filmmaking process itself, the the actual shoot days are probably my favorite days. Um, And that's probably is the glamorous part that people think, you know, but they're anyone who's been in films or been on a film shoot, you know, they're really long days.
1: So what's the process? Like, how long does it take you to prepare for the actual shooting day?
2: Yeah, of course. So months to years of kind of ruminating ideas and research. So depending on if we have funding for like a specific topic or we find something in the community that we think worth covering, we do research. A lot of that research is having conversations with people involved, kind of all that pre-production work. So several months and then some stories it's like, oh man, I, like, We're working on a tilapia film. I've been wanting to do a tilapia film for years and so I'm finally getting to do that, right? So it really varies depending on the project. Um, But we're certainly doing a ton of research beforehand, um, whether it's talking to scientists and folks involved or reading articles and thinking about what the end product might look like.
1: So, and how does the uh, shooting day go?
2: So Daniel uh, Kaplan, or he's the main guy who I've been working with recently, but I've had other cinematographers in the past. Um, I used to shoot in grad school and after grad school, I was doing shooting and I kind of realized that's not the thing I'm best at. (laughs) So I'm directing um, and producing, but kind of keeping up with the gear, you know, we have 4k, we have 5k, now we have 8k, you know, the gear is constantly improving. And I really am lucky to be able to hire folks with awesome gear and awesome talent to bring this kind of really high level of production to our videos, but the day of the shoot, you know, typical farm, we've been highlighting South Florida, uh, aquaculture farms the past couple of years and, you know, we'll start at the farm and have an idea of the shots we want. And essentially an overview is we want to tell the process of the farm or the seafood product from how it's harvested in the wild or how it's grown uh, on a farm and and making its way to the end user. So we usually do a two-day shoot. It is really fun, but it's also, you know, we're working in kind of constantly changing environments, a boat or a farm is not the most stable thing. So we have lighting changing and audio changing constantly. And so we're always like, okay, do we get what we need? Stuff inevitably comes up, but uh, yeah, it's kind of two full long days of of going through and trying to highlight the amazing work that that folks are doing.
1: So why don't you tell us about one of your films or projects that you did recently that you're mostly proud of that was a notable achievement, for example. Is it the tilapia one?
2: (laughs) Well, that one is in production. um, And actually I'm trying to figure out like, do we use some animation for that video? Because there's some processes in the water that is part of what makes that farm sustainable, but it's hard to visualize. So, you know, some of these land-based farms we've we've filmed there before and um i'm just kind of trying to think of new creative ways to communicate these sometimes not you know the easiest understand concepts not the most visually appealing con- concepts in a way that's going to engage kind of the more general public um so yeah the tilapia farm's fine because it's like ooh maybe we Get an animator with this part of it, um, but I'd say I think the this Florida caviar film that I worked on was a really cool story because we highlighted there's three generations of women that are working on this farm, and that in and of itself, like how cool and amazing. Um, and also, who's heard of Florida caviar? You know,
1: fancy to be honest.
2: <laughs> it is fancy. Well, they're also growing hybrid striped bass and tilapia. Um, on the farm to kind of supplement, you know, this is a long, takes a long time to grow a fish, to be able to harvest it for caviar. And so learning about what else they do on the farm to, you know, maintain their operations. But, um, so it was really cool kind of highlighting this family farm, doing something really unique. And I'm excited about this oyster farmer that we just filmed. Nicolette she is young and she is a force and she you know is giving it her all day in and day out and just working really hard and I think that's what I kind of consistently see at all the farms I go to uh, and with the fishermen too you know these are folks who are working super hard to make good food for us to eat and the seafood part of it's great, but the people are what really make these stories special.
1: For sure. And who, who's your target audience, Sarah, for these films?
2: Yeah. Great question. Um, so we're based in South Florida and most of the farms we've covered have been in South Florida. So I'd say kind of the Florida community, uh, are surrounded by water. Uh, we've got a lot of recreational fishing here. We've got some commercial fishing. We have a lot of aquaculture, um, and a lot of those folks aren't really communicating. So, hey, did we all know what's going on in the state? So I would say Floridians for sure. Um, but also, you know, these issues get into larger themes of food production and thinking about the future and feeding our planet in a healthy way. I think anyone interested in these topics can learn from our films. So I'd like to think they have a broader audience.
1: So if it's someone who doesn't have a background in aquaculture and is, is just interested to learn more about aquaculture, would, would your movies be uh, a good option for them? Definitely.
2: You know, every film is kind of taking a swing at, at this idea of, of communication, these hard issues. So, so, you know, sometimes we do better than others. I think we're kind of constantly learning how to communicate these tough issues so some of them can get more technical and in the weeds. And it's like, well, if you don't know this and how do you understand this? Right. And so we are really trying to make it accessible for folks. Um, I think of, you know, my sister, who's not really into documentaries, certainly doesn't know about aquaculture, you know, is she going to watch us and be yawning and flip the channel or is she going to, you know, she'll probably stay watching it. Cause I, I made it. into <laughs> but, uh, Folks who are my sister. That kind of idea is like, Can folks get interested? And I think they can be people more and more want to know how their food is produced um, and the people behind it and the processes involved. Um, But it is hard to kind of tackle these farms that can be quite complicated.
1: So how do you stay updated with the latest trends and developments in seafood or aquaculture?
2: Well, I go to conferences when I can. Um, so we met at a conference
1: actually. We met at a conference. Yes. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> pre COVID. I went to the Boston seafood show for the first time and met Becky, one of my board members there. Someone was like, you do videos, you do videos about seafood. You guys need to talk. Um, you know, listening to podcasts like this and others that are becoming more available on seafood and the industry. Like I love to take a walk and listen to a good seafood podcast, you know, or, oh man, I got a three hour drive. Great. How many of these podcasts can I get through? Um, so continuing to learn, going to conferences, I went to women of the water uh, Florida department of agriculture and consumer services, FDACs put on the first women of the water conference in Florida last summer. It was the coolest conference I went to cause or I've been to It's all women uh, mainly, and mainly in the aquaculture industry you should come um and it was just so nice and actually that's where i met nicolette so i kind of heard about her from you know someone else that i worked with followed her online and then i finally met her in in person you know and
1: um it's all about networking
2: yeah and Mm -hmm. uh continuing to be curious you know and get out there meet people
1: that's very true women and daughters sounds like so much fun
2: Oh my god, it's amazing. It's really nice. It's in Sarasota again, I believe this year in September,
1: I believe. So we'll definitely have to look that up. And so being a filmmaker, you said you have long shooting days and stuff like that. Uh, I'm guessing you don't have like a nine to five schedule. And so (laughs) tell us more about your work life balance. How do you anything any tips for maintaining a healthy work-life balance or how do you do it for example
2: um yeah i mean i work multiple jobs Surreya is not fully funded yet i don't get to just work on Surreya stuff quite yet and that's been the case for some years and so you know that in and of itself is hard um and i've definitely teetered on burnout different times and it's like who what good is that if i can't do anything (laughs) so i make it a priority at this point in my life to my main job is working for Surya, but I do kind of editing for different apps and different communications work for other nonprofits and things like that. So kind of freelance, editing communication. um but my main job is Surya. Um, great. but, yeah, I mean, for me, being in nature is what what charges me and nourishes me and inspires me and so I just really make an effort to get outside in nature um to kind of help me keep sane and keep inspired um and if I start to go a little crazy I know I need to get outside a bit <laughs> um but yeah I think it's important like we always feel like we have to you know running a nonprofit on your own kind of I, I could could and do sometimes work all day every day right you get into in this thing just keep working. So I think it's important to create these boundaries for ourselves so that we can show up better for, for ourselves and our work.
1: For sure. And are there any mentors that influenced you in your career or or have impacted your journey or mentors that you still look for, for guidance and advice?
2: Yeah. Um, I had a few different women inspire me over the years, um, professionally and personally but but kind of from a broader perspective seeing in like pop culture different female writers and producers like comedians um particularly who are like writing their own television shows and making this content they were like I want to see this content in the world so I'm gonna make it you know and that was a light bulb moment for me too I was like oh yeah women are out there doing this stuff um so I think kind of Those were mentors, not that I necessarily knew, but you know, just all the women that I met in graduate school that I still work with and colleagues and friends, you know, just I've been inspired by so many people and situations in my life. I feel really lucky in that sense.
1: So how has the feedback on the films uh, been?
2: Everyone's got opinions and they're all different. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we get positive feedback. We get negative feedback. Um,
1: we do what kind screening. of negative feedback do you get? Like, is it? Um, uh, you, you know,
2: know I, for, yeah, for example, you know, I, I was at a screening and I'm trying to show kind of how sexy this recirculating aquaculture system is right like ooh, look at these pipes <laughs> like all right they're reusing this water and it's basically this water filtration system you know again hard things to visualize hard things you know. and the criticism that I got from someone in the audience was like look at all that plastic you know so for them what they were kind of honing in on was the use of plastic and I didn't even mm-hmm. kind of see it that way or think of it that way so these screenings versus, you know, if they see a farm that's outside more and just kind of feels better, more comfortable visually to them, right? Um, So that's really a good reminder that everyone's coming from different places. And, and, you know, yeah, we get into these conversations nearly at every screening where people are can be kind of anti aquaculture. And, you know, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? You know, and um, I try to have, answers for it all but you know oftentimes it comes back to there's nothing that we do kind of without that doesn't have some kind of impact and kind of what what things are important to you and how can you make decisions coming from that place and that's different for everyone and so some people really get into shellfish aquaculture and seaweed aquaculture and that's what they feel good about and other folks are like man our oceans are really hurting and this land-based stuff is awesome, and I'm super excited about it. Or, you know, to this day, I have people kind of happen upon a screening and they're like, I've I've never heard about aquaculture in my life. I have no idea about it. Wow, you know, and they're just like, half of our seafood comes from this, you know? So it just kind of really spreads um, the gamut, I think, of how people respond to it. And a lot of it's where they're coming from. You know, I certainly don't have the answers. <laughs> and so we, we just want to get people thinking about these things, right? And asking more questions, hopefully after they see it.
1: Getting them curious, like you were saying. Yeah. And how do you handle the criticism or the setbacks of your work?
2: Well, I was just, I signed into this grant portal last week and I saw like 20 rejections that I had gotten. over <laughs> the past of like the, and, and you know, in the past, the, you know, when you're working on this stuff for years, you know, would rejection after rejection after rejection, it's hard to kind of pick yourself up and keep going, you know? Um, But that's kind of what you have to do and, you know, seeking feedback on, hey, well, why wasn't this a good fit? And then just realizing that sometimes it's just not, and that's okay, and it's not personal, (laughs) even though sometimes it would feel personal because, you know, put your kind of heart and soul into stuff. but yeah, I mean, I think just using these experiences as like learning experiences and and um having conversations with my board about, hey, you know, we didn't get this grant for this reason. And hey, we're trying to communicate this issue. Maybe it deserves a longer piece and what's missing from the seafood industry that we're not talking about talking about and how could we maybe help answer those questions? So I like to talk to people a lot about stuff. But yeah, the setbacks are really hard and can be demoralizing when (laughs) they keep coming, but you know, it's part of the process in a way to kind of figure out, you know, who your people are and the story to try and tell and um, yeah.
1: Like you're saying, I think you can use them as opportunities for growth, right? So- Definitely. Like the criticism that you get on the films you make or um, like the negative comments.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm always, you know, we get feedback that they can be boring or they're like school, um, <laughs> which which is a bummer, right? But also, like, they are – I am trying to be educational. They yeah. are used in schools, which I'm really proud of and love um, that they are being used in some school programming. And I, I hope that oh, happens yeah. more. Yeah. Uh, down in Miami, uh, there's a nonprofit, Dream and Green, that has, like, a green school kind of environmental education programming. And so – our films are being used as part of that curriculum. And so for any educators out there, we, we always love to get our content to, to classrooms. Um, and we're, we're hoping to do a longer piece too, since we've highlighted a few different types of farms in Florida at this point. So shrimp, clams, pompano, um, sturgeon, oyster, soon to be tilapia. So maybe what would like a longer kind of hour-long piece look like combining these different films to kind of tell a more holistic story of a Florida aquaculture. What we have not filmed is kind of restorative aquaculture. Um, So I'm looking in, waiting to hear back about some funding for some sponge restoration work that's happening locally. I think folks forget that restorative efforts, whether it's coral or sponges, um, that's a type of aquaculture and that's pretty cool. So we want to get into that a bit as well.
1: That's very interesting. Um, and I love that they're being used in schools as well. You mentioned that you that you work with a lot of women, which, is, which I think is amazing. Aquaculture industry, I think, is more of a male-dominant field, but there are women uh, leaders in the industry. What do you think are the challenges to it, bridging that gap?
2: Yeah, so at Aquaculture America, I spoke in a communications session and all the other speakers were women, which isn't terribly surprising necessarily, like women are often in communications, but man, the speakers were just so awesome and inspiring. And it was folks that I knew online or had heard about or just learned about. And that was so incredible and gave me such a sense of hope for our industry Um, because yeah, aquaculture... There are a lot of men, um, (laughs) but you know, there are a lot of men in a lot of industries still making science. And um, luckily the women are getting into all of these fields, but it's always super fun at farms to see the women out there, hauling in the cages and doing all, all the things that we stereotypically think women don't do. And of course they do that. Right. and so it's been cool just visiting these places and kind of seeing it myself and trying to highlight it. I think podcasts like this obviously helps bridge the gap of encouraging more women to get involved in this industry, um, letting other women know that there are women in the industry who are supportive of each other and want there to be more women to talk to. Um, women play such a huge part in seafood globally. and yeah, that needs to be reflected in and leadership roles in the aquaculture industry, and so I think that's happening. Um, you know, there's so many women my age in this space who I just like think are so amazing and doing such incredible things. So I'm really hopeful um, for the future of this industry with kind of these badass women taking charge. There's so many great women in this field, um, and
1: I, I think that will continue. What do you think is one quality you must have to be able to work in aquaculture? I got a lot of good answers out of that one.
2: Um resilience. I don't work on a farm, but so many folks I've talked to at farms, you know, it's constantly changing environment. Different things are coming up that, you know, didn't happen the day before and you're problem solving constantly and you know, you think you have a plan and then that plan changes. <laughs> Um, so being resilient and and flexible, I guess, in that, and being determined to you know solve these you know things that are coming up um that maybe you didn't anticipate,
1: yeah, I think it makes sense, like the word be- resilience because you'll receive a lot of backlash working in aquaculture, and you have to be resilient enough to, you know, stand in front of those and them and stand for what you believe in
2: i think people want to learn about seafood you know sometimes i feel like the aquaculture commercial seafood industry and even the recreational industry everyone kind of points fingers and it can be a little um unfortunate i think because that breeds you know this fear this uncertainty that folks have with different industries And i just think you know kind of the more conversations we can have with folks who yeah maybe don't see where we're coming from or think differently um, can be a good thing. And I'm personally excited about how, you know, the commercial seafood industry and aquaculture industry may overlap in the future um, and support each other and can sometimes do finger pointing and it'd be better, I think, just to
1: have some more conversations. For sure. Okay. Speaking of seafood, I forgot to ask you, what's your favorite fish?
2: Oh man, that's so hard. Okay, top
1: three.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, crawfish from Louisiana. Okay. That is um, amazing. Uh, I actually just had some smoked mullet, um, which was caught in Florida Bay, which um, isn't a really commonly eaten fish, and it was delicious. And tilapia, man, I had an event meet your fish farmers and we had seafood from a a bunch of different farms and we had some tilapia that was put into this made into the ceviche and man it was just spectacular so crawfish mullet and tilapia at the at the moment
1: (laughs) okay that's that's a good answer (laughs) it's different it's not your basic salmon and shrimp answer so
2: (laughs) yeah i I mean i i love You know, I think that's one of the bigger messages at Surya Films that we talk to folks about is diversifying the seafood. There's so much delicious, healthy, wonderful things out there to try. Um, And I think that can be a way towards sustainability when we do kind of reach out of our comfort zone sometimes.
1: Yes, for sure. And Sarah, what are your future goals and aspirations in your career?
2: Well, we are actually doing some strategic planning with our board in the next few months to see how Soraya wants to grow and communicate and be involved in a bigger way, hopefully. But I would love to keep doing work with schools and our education work and really just keep making some more films. I I would love to make a feature length film on feed and innovative feeds that are happening. So anyone out there, Wants to collaborate on that. Um, I love you know all the innovative stuff that's happening in the aquaculture and the seafood gen- industry in general. So I'm excited to s- tell these stories in the future. So hope to keep doing, being able to do the work we're doing and do it in a bigger way.
1: That's amazing. All right, I have some last fire questions for you. W- what is the best advice you ever received? Um,
2: I think just to uh, you know remember that. You know, we have our own perspective and someone else has their own perspective. And there's, you know, there's a million different ways to look at something and to be open-minded about our convictions, I would say. You know, like if you're talking to someone, you know, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're going through something we don't know about. Um, So keep different perspectives surrounding you because it's helpful.
1: I love that. I love that one. Okay. What advice would you give to your younger self? And you're still young, so... I don't know how that turned, question sounds. I but.
2: just turned forty. <laughs> super exciting!
1: You look New so decade. Young. Well, the audience can't see you, but guys, she looks super young.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would say to my younger self, getting older is fun. It's good. It's you know, you get you get to learn a lot, and I I feel like sometimes we get freaked out about being growing growing up and uh, getting older, but don't fear (laughs) it gets better Um,
1: really it does
2: i think so i mean i think we get to know ourselves a little better and hopefully are creating lives for ourselves that you know keep swimming you know keep going trust the process remember that everything can be a learning experience even though you know if you're going through something that sucks as we all do but yeah keep swimming getting older isn't that bad
1: (laughs) okay that's an optimistic answer I really like it. <laughs> okay. Everyone's usually like, oh, you don't know what's waiting for you. <laughs> but I love that. Okay. And last but not least, your favorite fish punter joke.
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't really have one.
1: No, this better be good. Sarah. But, I you have one.
2: but, you know, recently all the orca memes online about, like, the orca sinking the boats. I've been thinking those have been pretty funny just because they're like, oh, scientists think maybe, you know, they're upset because, you know, during COVID, there were fewer boats in the ocean. Like, who knows, right? Like, and no one has been hurt. Um, And it's not a funny joke, but I do kind of like this whales unite kind of idea. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> but yeah, I don't really funny.
2: have a fish joke or anything, unfortunately. I need to get one. Yeah, I'll be. I think
1: so too. I'll be back. Yeah, you should.
2: Do you have one? What's yours?
1: They're so, they're so cringy. I don't know if you, you'll hate me after you hear
2: them. <laughs> I like saying like you know, shrimply the best. You know, there's a lot of good shrimp ones. Oh, out there. Oh,
1: okay. You know what? That's that's a good one. Oh, why are fish so easy to weigh? Why are they so easy to
2: weigh?
1: I don't know. Because they have their own scales. Oh. <laughs> They're like yeah, let's end this meeting right now. <laughs> Man,
2: you know, I feel I feel like some kids would know some good ones. You know, I'll have to ask my uh, my five year old nephew for some good
1: fish jokes. What, what do you call a fish who practices medicine? I don't know a sturgeon. <laughs> Ooh!
2: <laughs> and on that note, you can see our sturgeon video on YouTube. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, I I didn't watch that one.
2: I would love to watch it. Yeah, check it out. All almost all of our videos are on our YouTube channel, Seria Films. S E R E I A Films. Um, we're working with our local PBS station to get them live in South Florida, and we have local screenings around. But they are available online. So yeah, definitely check them out. Tell us what you think. Um, we're always looking for folks to help too with editing and social media and, you know, chatting about fish. So we love to connect. So if anyone wants to, my email is sarah
1: at org. Sounds good. I'll also include this the information in the podcast description for anyone who's interested in uh, reaching out to Sarah. Sarah, it's been a pleasure sitting down with you today, having this conversation, a very fruitful conversation, I just love having conversations with folks who are interested in raising awareness about aquaculture. We have so many information about aquaculture, but we just need the people to get it out there. And you're one of those people who who are trying to do that. So I love it. And thank you so much uh, for joining
0: me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Another episode in the books! As always, our show notes with links, photos, and extras can be found on our website aquaculturenorthamerica.com women. I want to quickly mention our virtual summit, which will be taking place on September 7th of this year. The Women in North American Aquaculture Summit, or WINAS, is free and open to everyone. We have a great schedule planned for the day, so register now on our website and check out our event schedule with speakers and more. And please join me in thanking our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.